true sons and daughters. I'm John Miller, and this is Locked on Mizzou, your destination for partisan Missouri Tigers football and basketball talk five days a week during the season and three days a week here during this extended off-season period. And today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. And speaking of today, well, we're going to talk, as promised last time, we're going to finish off our 2005 Time Machine segment with a lot of basketball talk. It was the page, the first year of the Page Sports Arena. Hey, there's a blast from the past, right? So we're going to talk all about that. Linus Claza, Quinn Snyder, going off the rails, the whole deal. But first, let's get to some modern stuff, shall we? And the big news on the football recruiting trail is that Missouri has gotten its 11th commitment for the 2021 class. This time, it's Florida defensive back Zaquan Reeves. And you know what? I'm going with Zaquan, but you'll have to forgive me if I get that one wrong. When there's a Z and an X and a Q and a name, well, you know, you just got to give me a pass. What can I say? But I'm going with Zaquan. And he's from Cocoa, Florida, which is, of course, just off the Hershey Highway. He's about six foot three, 180 pounds, which is quite the tall defensive back, isn't it? And that's certainly a trend. This is not only is this a trend that Missouri's going after lots of defensive backs, this is the fourth D back for the 2021 class already, but they're all at least six foot one. And that's really interesting because typically, you know, obviously, cornerbacks are not over six feet tall. And, well, Every single one we're recruiting are that big. And it's interesting because, well, when you look at his huddle highlights, if you look at Zaquan Reeves' huddle highlights, his year three highlights, you know, what stands out to me is not only is, well, nobody's getting any separation from him, which you'd kind of expect on your highlight reel, but, you know, again, much like Dalen Carnell, who, who I talked about last week, the new defensive back from Indianapolis, Reeves is a physical, aggressive player, and you can see him using that six foot three frame to its full advantage on film. I mean, he is literally shoving guys out of bounds, just beast moding on them at times, to use that silly phrase. But yeah, just an imp- I really like the physicality of him. Not only just that he's a taller player, but certainly uses that body to his advantage. I imagine we'll see. At least a couple of these guys, these defensive backs, will become safeties. I sort of, Davion Sistrunk, I, I, I surmised that maybe he was going to transfer to safety at some point, but, you know, we'll see what happens. And honestly, we'll need some safeties because, well, in Ryan Walter's base defense, he is playing three safeties most of the time. Frankly, with DeMarcus Acey lost to graduation and Christian Holmes is now transferred to Oklahoma State for his senior year. It sure seems like we've got a need at defensive back immediately, and I would expect that Ennis Rakestraw will probably see the field immediately as a true freshman next year, but it'll be interesting to see if Davion Sistrunk, Zaquan Reeves, and any of these other new guys, Dalen Carnell, any of these new players, if any of them see the field as well, that's for sure. Obviously, Eli and his staff, Eli Drinkwitz, has identified the secondary as a position of need, and they're attacking it hard. And again, it's just interesting to see the the preference for bigger physical guys at that position. And switching gears here, 
for a little bit. Boy, we just can't get away from COVID-19 talk, can we? And, you know, Peter Ball on The Athletic was had a piece on in, the, in that particular publication today that was going over the protocols that Missouri's going to take, the precautions, all of the disinfecting that they're going to do, keeping keeping workouts to 20 guys at a time, proper social distancing, all that good stuff. But it, then it was posited that, well, we're just going to have to trust these guys to be safe away from the football facility. Well, in the article, Peter writes, that might be easier said than done. During Memorial Day weekend, videos circulated online of large crowds partying at the Lake of the Ozarks 90 minutes southwest of Columbia. A Tigers football player made the trip to the lake that weekend, according to a team parent who requested anonymity because of the sensitive nature of the situation. The player was tested for COVID-19, the parent said, and the results came back negative. Quote, it's unfortunate that the coaches can't control what the players do out of their eyesight, the parent said. They really can only control them to a certain extent, but I will say this. If they do find that something that something is going on, they're going to take immediate action. Well, that parent sounds like a heck of a lot of fun at parties, doesn't he or she? My goodness. Now listen. I want to emphasize once again, my position on COVID is not, I'm not saying that there is zero risk to catching COVID-19, but you know what? There is lots of risk in life and there's more to life than simply avoiding death. And if that weren't true, then we would all just sit in our houses and eat garbanzo beans for the rest of our lives. And we'd be just as happy, wouldn't we? If avoiding death was all that it takes. And frankly, if safety was always everyone's number one priority over everything else in life, then the sport of football itself would not exist. Honestly, it's been two weeks since Memorial Day, exactly two weeks as we record this podcast. And again, the player who went down to the lake didn't test positive for COVID. And apparently, according to the Missouri Health Department, there's been one case that has stemmed from that weekend at the Lake of the Ozarks. And again, this parent's saying that the person was at the lake. They're not even saying that they were in throngs of people at those at the at coconuts or wherever it might have been at the lake at those huge pool parties. But again, where's the evidence that that actually hurt anybody? Where where is the evidence that being outside in a bunch of Chlorine-infused water is where COVID thrives. Well, apparently there is no evidence of that. And yet, this parent is still terrified, apparently. They're still worried about people going to the lake to the point that they're dropping dimes on players to Peter Ball at The Athletic. That's unbelievable to me. That really is. And quite honestly, if you're that scared, if you're constantly just living your life in fear, I have a suggestion. Turn off the mainstream news media for a few days, maybe even a couple weeks. Hey, if we, if we need to quarantine for a couple weeks sometimes, well, maybe we should quarantine ourselves from negativity for a couple weeks. Honestly, just see what happens. Now, I'm not saying you stick your head in the sand and be ignorant of everything happening around you. I'm really saying the mainstream news media cycle, whether you're a CNN viewer, a Fox News viewer, I don't care. Just turn it off and see what happens to your mental state of being. I bet it's quite positive. 
All right, I will safely climb down from my soapbox now to tell you about something more positive, and that's my friends over at Built Bar. Oh, finally, finally, a treat that I can indulge in without feeling guilty about five minutes later. Because you know what's great about Built Bar? They're low in sugar, they're low in net carbs, but they're high in protein. Now, that's the kind of formula that I like. In fact, that reminds me, I need to go re-up on my Built Bars, get another one of those variety packs that my wife and I are enjoying so much. And if you want to do the same, go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code Locked On, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Again, that's the promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Get you that mint brownie. Try it out. I don't think you'll regret it whatsoever. And now it's time once again for another Time Machine segment. I didn't quite get to basketball from 2005 Friday, so as promised, here we are. And you know what? Missouri was coming off a brutally disappointing 2003-2004 basketball team. Although, frankly, that team wasn't bad or anything. It just wasn't nearly as good as we had hoped. This was also the final season in the Hearn Center Missouri would climb to as high as number five in preseason polls, but would fall out of the top 25 completely by New Year's Day. So it was quite the fall from grace. Really early on, we were thinking, hey, after falling to Gonzaga in overtime, I believe it was in Seattle, in what was a really entertaining game. Despite the loss, I think Mizzou fans were feeling pretty good. But you know what? If you look, take a little deeper, a little bit deeper look, under the hood to mix my metaphors. But even in some wins early, they did give up 85 points to Oakland and also 98 to UNC Greensboro. These were not good basketball teams, folks. So the defense obviously had a little bit to be desired there, which is interesting to note because there was so much talk about the point guard play. Randy Pulley, for instance. Ricky Clemens getting kicked off the team. Clarence Gilbert having to maybe play out of position, but really for all that talk of that being the bringing down the offense, Missouri was still 27th in adjusted offense that season, according to Ken Pomeroy. But, you know, again, disappointing, sure, but far from bad. But the defense, however, was 109th. That's just not very good. And three-point defense in particular cost Mizzou, but You know, you do kind of wonder sometimes how much of that was luck. But then you fast forward to 2004-2005, and the three-point defense is still really bad. But overall, the defense improved somewhat. Unfortunately, this is the season when the Quinn Snyder offense just completely goes in the tank. You see, three-pointers were always a big part of the Quinn experience, and to that end, I think he was ahead of his time. The idea that Missouri was putting up A bunch of three-pointers, well, we see everybody doing that nowadays, so I can't really blame Quinn there. But unfortunately, the the shooting for this team was just awful. And if you look at the recruiting class this season, the freshmen on this 2005 team, you got Jason Horton, Marshall Brown, Kalen Grimes, and Glenn Dandridge. And, well, two of those guys, Grimes and Dandridge, were definite misses. Horton was, frankly, just not a very effective player. He was a solid defender, but, you know, a good kid, quite possibly, but 
man, his offense was absolutely rough his first two seasons with Quinn Snyder. Not only was he statistically inefficient just looking back at it, but man, just way too much dribbling in place from him in that offense. Plus, he's a 48, 50% free throw shooter. It's honestly surprising that Quinn didn't seem to emphasize shooting a little more with his later point guard recruits, but but there you go. And also, I think Marshall Brown, by all accounts, is a good kid, certainly a great athlete. He had some, imp- some impressive dunks in his career, but he just didn't do any one thing particularly well at the college level, in, in my humble opinion. Now, then there's the case of Kalen Grimes. Well, he was dismissed from the team after his junior year for hitting a man in the face with the butt end of a shotgun. So that's never a great look. Some Dairy Queen dispute. Yes, Jim Cornette was not involved. There's a wrestling reference for all of you. But, you know, and then there's Glenn Dandridge. You know, that kid just never found his shot. You know, he was supposed to be... He was supposed to be the shooter that Quinn, the, the shooting specialist. You know, sometimes we've seen that with, with Glenn Dandridge. We saw it with Colin Van Leer. We saw it with Danny Alouche. You know, sometimes those shooters, you would think that would be the skill that would translate to, the, to any level. If you could just hit an open shot. But, you know, it's funny. Sometimes you can just get in your own head. I don't know what happens there. But anyway, Dandridge ends up leaving with Quinn Snyder the next year with, I mean, I should just say at the same time, and, well, Dandridge was never to play Division I basketball again. The odd thing about this recruiting class is that, well, they were all ranked high. Marshall Brown and Horton were both top 50 players. Kalen Grimes was a top 100 player. You know, it just, none of them worked out. And honestly, for as much as been made of Quinn Snyder's, maybe his personal foibles at this time, well, if he could just if he could have just recruited a little bit better for this 2005 freshman class, who knows, maybe things would have turned out a little bit differently for Quinn. But as far as the guys who were still on the team who returned from the previous year, well, Linus Claza is certainly the headliner, and I'll tell you all about Linus and Thomas Gardner and the rest coming right up. So 2005 was Linus Claza's sophomore year at Missouri and also his final year at Missouri is he would move on to the NBA draft and the funny thing about Linus is well he sure likes he sure never saw a shot that he didn't like when you go back and look at his shot percentage and all that good stuff but you know even though he was kind of a ball hog I guess you could say just looking at him statistically to me, that his by far his best quality that showed up his freshman year was his rebounding ability. I just remember at the time thinking, man, this guy has got to be the best freshman rebounder I think I've ever seen. And just to that point, when you go back and look at the statistics, again, as a true freshman, if you look at Ken Palm's offensive rebounding percentage, defensive rebounding percentage, well, if you look... Linus's teammate at the time was senior Arthur Johnson, who is, of course, Missouri's all-time leading rebounder. Well, Arthur, his offensive rebounding percentage was 10. Linus Claza's, 15.7. Arthur Johnson's defensive rebounding percentage was 17.2. Linus Claza's, 26.3. That is astounding. 
Now, while he didn't play enough minutes to qualify nationally, that might well have led the nation if he did. I got to be honest. So, an astounding number there. Now, he next season his his offensive rebounding rate just falls off a complete cliff. Goes below 8, which remember Arthur Johnson was at 10, Clayza was at 15. So he almost his offensive rebounding percentage almost fell in half. And the reason for that well, frankly, his sophomore year, he spent a lot more time at the three-point line. It's as simple as that. Because his defensive rebounding percentage was still tremendous at 20%. So it's not as though he forgot how to rebound. But unfortunately, Quinn Snyder had the idea of turning him into more of a combo forward, stretch forward type player. And, well, that resulted in Klaza shooting 113 threes in that 2005 season and only making 31 of them for a pretty terrible 27%. And again, speaking of terrible shooting and 27% three-point shooting at that, that was also what Thomas Gardner shot that year as well, his sophomore year. I think we remember Thomas being a lot better shooter than he really was, or at least all did. I'll speak for myself and just say I was kind of surprised that Thomas didn't have better shooting numbers in retrospect. He, I think he topped out at 36% from three. But you know what? Actually, coincidentally, Thomas ends up playing 20 games in the NBA over two seasons. And as again, a total coincidence, I happened to see one of those 20 games in person at the United Center when I was living in Chicago. So just a little note, personal note there. For, what, for whatever reason, Jimmy McKinney couldn't really make a three-pointer that year either. After shooting 37% as a sophomore, falls all the way down to 25% as a junior. So that was somewhat bizarre. Just It seemed like the whole team was just allergic to shooting that year. And obviously that would not bode well for these Tigers. But ultimately, like the previous year, the season ends up with a first-round NIT loss. But you know what? This team's quite a bit worse. I mean, significantly worse than that 4 team. It's really not even close. You just look at it on paper. Gosh, we fell all the way down to 101st in Ken Palm in one year from, well, 51st. And, you know, again, 51st, not great. That's not a tournament team, but maybe not as terrible as we all remember. Missouri actually lost eight out of nine games at one point from January to February during the middle of the Big 12 season. They did have they did get revenge on Gonzaga though. That may have been the highlight of the season. Well, except for of course, Missouri did beat Kansas 72-68 on senior day, finishing up that Big 12 record at 7 and 9. Overall, obviously not a great season for Missouri. They did beat number 12 Oklahoma 68-65 in overtime. So, Astoundingly, they actually had three top 26 wins, if I can extend it out by one ranking there, uh, outside of the usual top 25, if you'll forgive me. So this team did have somewhat of a high ceiling at times, but boy, the 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 oh-so-low lows. They also lost three games to opponents that were ranked outside of the top 100 as well. So yeah, consistency was a bit of a problem with this team. And finally... I do want to say that I think Kevin Young is a, is a somewhat underappreciated Mizzou player. He was a junior on this team. Obviously, senior as a senior, he would be 
in the season where Quinn Snyder's reign would ultimately come to an end. But you know what? I think at the time, again, speaking of Kalen Grimes, I think I definitely liked Kalen Grimes as a player more than Kevin Young at the time. But that was mostly because Kalen Grimes was sort of your classic back-to-the-basket type player, and he definitely had more offensive skills from that perspective than Kevin Young. But honestly, in retrospect, and as I sort of grow as a basketball fan and analyst, give me Kevin Young's game, just that type of player over Kalen Grimes all day. Because Kevin was a strong rebounder, a hustler, and he was, more importantly, he was just much more agile as a defender than Kalen Grimes. For as decent as he was with his back to the basket, I just think he was a really a poor defender, quite frankly, just a step slow at times. And I just don't think that offense first, defense, not even second, but just guys who are minuses defensively at center, I just don't see how you can win with those guys. There just aren't a lot of examples in basketball history of great teams having an offense first, zero defense kind of player. It just doesn't really happen. So that's something to keep in mind. And You know what you should always keep in mind? There are tons of other great shows on the Locked On Network, including Locked On the SEC with our buddy Blake Lovell. Check it out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your fantastic podcasts. So, until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.